Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got it in. He's got it in. Welcome back, guys. This is Two Slips in the Gully. Um, you've got Aaron and Scott here today. There we go, guys. Glenn is uh, on assignment in the land of the long white cloud. Uh, he's going to go and check out how the Kiwis are doing it for the next two weeks. So he misses out on this episode, so you're just stuck with the two of us. Um, this week, we've got a pretty interesting show. We're uh, going to have a touch on the recently announced Australian T20 squad for the games against Sri Lanka and Pakistan. And we're going to have a new segment in today's show, and we're going to call this one If I Were King for a Day. So Scott and I are going to come up with some ideas that we'd... Uh, change about the game of cricket or things that we'd uh, like to improve upon and yeah if what we do if we were in charge of the game for a day so all that is coming up grab some power and hopefully let go of it at some point go on, straight down the throat of first slip. so today they announced the t20 squad for the australian team for the upcoming t20 matches against uh, pakistan and sri lanka some head-scratching ones in this squad, namely the fact that Darcy Short, who's been the form short form domestic short-form player for Australia for the last couple of years, has missed out on a spot. Yeah, it's an interesting one to say the least, I'd say, that one, but I guess they're trying things. That's what you could go with. Yeah, well, they've um, got the, the World Cup coming up next year on Australian soil, so we know that Australia tends to do a very good job of trialling and blooding players in one-day cricket and getting it all, all together in time for a World Cup campaign. Um, we don't, obviously don't have the same track record with T20. We've never seen this quite get the balance right. So it's good to see that we're probably... We're, we're trialling this a bit earlier. We're getting... Um, we're, we're, think, we're looking forward much earlier in the piece than we normally do with our T20 tournaments. So um, the squad as follows is uh, Aaron Finch is the captain. 
Ashton Agar is in the squad. Alex Carey, the vice captain's in. Pat Cummins, Glenn Maxwell, Ben McDermott gets a recall. Kane Richardson, uh, Steve Smith returns to the side. I think he's going to play his first T20 match in nearly three years. So uh, see Smith back. Uh, Billy Stanlake, Mitchell Stark, he's a bit the same due to being rested for between matches. He hasn't played too much 2020 cricket for Australia, so he's back in the side. Ashton Turner, Andrew Ty, uh, David Warner, and Adam Zampa rounds out the squad. So looking at that squad, there's not many players that you would say shouldn't be there. So it's hard to pick where you'd put Darcy Short. Um, Marcus Stoinis is a player that has also been a big contributor to Australia's short-form cricket of late, and he hasn't managed to jag a spot on this side either. So it's a, it's an interesting setup they've got there. Yeah, well, well, we discussed this obviously earlier before, and I think the, the guy that stands out for me is just Ben McDermott. He's in the same team as as Darcy Short in in the BBL, and like I say, they're obviously kind of you know trialing guys in spots, trying to see who's going to fit into that team, but. I just I think as far as just like pure statistics, he's quite obviously like inferior to Darcy Short, and that's not saying he's not a bad cricketer. It's just saying that you know Darcy Short is probably one of our best twenty twenty players. I think the only thing that probably goes in McDermott's favour, he bats at four for the Hurricanes, whereas Darcy Short is an opener. And you're looking at that lineup; they've got yeah, um, it's a bit hard to knock your skipper out, I guess. Yeah, you've got Warner and Finch who are definitely going to open the batting. You'd imagine with Steve Smith in that side, they're probably going to bat him at three, Maxwell at four. And you're sort of running out of spots to to put Darcy Short in to allow him to be effective. You put um, you know, if you bat say Darcy Short at three and everyone shuffles down one, then you're sort of losing Maxwell's effectiveness because he's coming in, you know, ideally he'd be coming in too late in the inning, so you want to give Maxwell a bit of time. So I can see why McDermott comes in. He's a more flexible middle-order player, and he's got a lot of potential. He's had a pretty good Marsh uh, Marsh Cup campaign so far, and I think he's going to play a lot of um, short-form cricket for Australia in the in the years to come. So I think that's probably their... their they're smoky for the future that they're going with. Um, it's good to see Starkey back. Um, I really like the Ashton Turner pick. I've become a really big fan of his over the last couple of years. I think he's a guy destined to play more cricket for Australia on in all three levels if he can stay healthy. Uh, he's shown that he's got plenty of big hitting. Um, been one of the linchpins that uh, Perth scorches middle order for quite a while now, so I think he's going to have a big part to play. Apparently healthy now, so we might even get to see him roll the arm over as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they how they utilise that because they've got a couple of all rounder spinners in there, and obviously just the one one spinner in Adam Zampa. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see how they shape up. Well, you're looking at that, so you're going to get one. What you got? Stanlake, Stark, Ty, Richardson. So you got four four quicks. You wouldn't think they'd all play Pat in that Cummins game. Well. Oh, Pat Cummins. You got five quicks. So they're 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 probably going to go. What you'd imagine they're going with three of those quicks. Then maybe Zampa, and they'd use Ashton Agar as the all-rounder, possibly. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that they come to that because Ashton's not really consi- like he, he, I guess he kind of plays that role of five for the Scorchers, but going on the last few years, he's not really had to bat too much for the Scorchers at five. So it's inter- it's an interesting choice, I think. They've been using him in the uh, for the WA uh, Marsh Cup side. He's been coming in sort of six, seven. And sort of just throwing the bat at everything. So I think we'll probably see Ashton Agar in that sort of role. You're coming with a license like right down the bottom. And when you're looking at that squad, you've probably got to think you're going to have open with Finch and Warner, Smith, Maxwell at four. And then you'd be looking at probably McDermott at five, Carey at six, 
AR at seven, and then you'd have um, three quicks, eight, nine, ten, and then um, Zamper at... At 11, depending, at 11, on, depending so you're, on the conditions, you're probably looking at maybe... So you're looking at probably Turner and probably McDermott. Maybe jostling for a middle-order spot. Obviously, you know, the big three in Finch, Warner and Smith are going to be batting. Um, you'd, Alex Carey will be in there as the wicket-keeper. Maxwell's been one of our better T20 players for a while, so they're all there. So, yeah, you're looking... Yeah, I reckon that... Turner and McDermott are probably jostling for a spot, and then those three quicks are probably jostling for... Well, those five quicks are probably going to... Five into three, you'd imagine. I think one of the really good things, though, about the 2020 team is that they don't... There's not been a lot of... Um, they haven't relied on incumbency a lot in that team. There's, like, there's no real... There's only a couple of spots in that team that are always kind of set and forget. Like, you, you do have a lot of spots that are up for grabs there, and that's, that's what I like about these kind of... I, I guess these shorter-form ones is... That you know that there is a chance for these guys to you know put up or shut up and kind of if they don't perform and there's going to be I think someone. That to is jump a little in. bit of our downfall. We like to really rotate our players through, and um, it's to the detriment of some of our players. I think that they're sort of in and out of the side. So, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. We're obviously going to be trialing a lot of things. I can't imagine that Pat Cummins will play in every one of these games. They'll be wanting him rested for the Test series. So yeah, you imagine no that he, you know, only played half of those games especially with the amount of quicks they've brought um, and good quicks as well like the, like Kane Richardson's proven his worth in that in that 2020 format and yeah he's a Billy lead, leading wicket taker from like the big bash I think leading lead, yeah, leading wicket taker I think last year's big bash so yeah. it's been a consistent performer for a while Mitchell Stark obviously he didn't have a really we had a, a World Cup campaign but didn't really do a lot in the in the test series so he's got to be relatively yeah, fresh awesome I know he's got a, a shield game coming up and AJ um, Ty is just a fountain of a fountain of potential when it comes to um, twenty twenty cricket. He's got what eight different balls that he bowls, and you can only bowl six balls on an over, so he's gonna have to bowl a few different balls and keep changing it up, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I like the look of the squad. I really would like to find some way to get Darcy Short in there, but I think if you're gonna be running with Finch, if Finch Maxwell, sorry, Finch Warner and Smith are going to be mainstays of your top three. I really can't see any point in batting, playing Darcy Short unless he's going to be in that top three. Um, so well, I, do, I just think going on the going on the building the future thing. I, I just think Darcy Short is like potentially right now he'd be that guy you could just literally lock into the team and like he could be there forever. He should be. It's it, it's just uh, I suppose it is a bit of a noodle scratcher, but you, can, you can see why they're doing it absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's all coming up. So we've got those. They're going to kick off our domestic summer early November. We'll have. Um, uh, the T20s rolling around, so we get to see this team in action right before the Test series starts. Let's get it started, I say. Speaking of Test matches, I want to take a little segue before we get to our uh, "If I Were King for a Day" segment. Um, I think that Rohit Sharma is a, a listener of our podcast. <laughs> well, he must be, I reckon. Must be. He um, took offence to us um, buying real estate for him on the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. For those of you that haven't listened to that episode yet, our last episode was. Uh, titled The Boulevard of Broken Dreams, and it was players that um, have had really strong domestic first-class careers that haven't quite um, turned that into as fruitful test careers. So Michael Bevan, for example, averaging 50 in Shield cricket in Australia, only managed to sort of get a handful of games in average in the mid-20s. 
Um, Graham Hick was another one, really big average for domestically for England. Uh, Michael, uh, Mark Ramprakash, we all went through a few of them. Um, and Rohit Sharma's Rohit name came uh, um, as a player that, you know, while his career certainly hadn't finished yet, was certainly heading that down that path of being a really strong performer in other facets of the game, but never being quite able to, to make it stick. So we penciled him in for a, a, a new villa on the uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, and he's then opened the batting against South Africa, and he's made us eat our words a bit too... Two hundreds, consecutive hundreds in a test match, opening the batting. Really good showing from Robert Sharma. Well, if you want to make hay, I mean, it, it looks like a pretty bat-friendly surface out there. Oh, well, you can only, can only bat on the pitches no, you're batting on, so... Absolutely, and he's, he's come out and definitely, he's definitely increased his average, that's for sure. Um, Bit of a shout-out to Agarwal as well, the other guy opening the batting, showing a bit of class, and then came out and scored a double hundred in that test, in that for opening innings, and really got South Africa, just batted South Africa out of the game, essentially. It's... Uh, at that point, it became about survival from that point on, and unfortunately, it's, weren't good enough to do it. It's really good to see a guy like Agarwal come out, and he's um, you know, he's holding that good tradition, which like we've got, so, we've had so many over the time in Australia, like Phil Jakes and Chris Rogers and guys like that who, you know, they, they come to the party quite late. I mean, he's he's twenty eight, so he's not he's not past it by any means, but he's definitely had a shield career behind him before he's come into the Test team and. And uh, from well, from all accounts, he's averaged quite handsomely over there in the Indian tournament. And um, yeah, he's just coming out and he's yeah, making basically stick, making basically locked in a spot for at least a couple of years in the Indian top order. Really impressed with um, with Elgar and uh, Quinton de Kock as well. They both scored hundreds in um, the South African first innings. Um, looked like they may have been able to. Uh, Hold on enough to somewhere near parity. Get it out. Get it out to yeah near parity and maybe play for a draw. But um, Ashwin, Jadeja, and Shami um, made meals of the South Africans in the second innings, and they got nowhere near it. I'm afraid. But um, yeah, Quinton de Cox sort of grounding out quite a like we all know what he can do in the one day format. He's a fantastic one day opener, but he's he's grinding out a more than respectable. A career as a middle order batsman slash wicketkeeper for South Africa. He's got four or five hundreds now, and he's averaging the forties. It's um quality player. Lots to like about him. I think that's the thing about this the um the South African team going into this series is look, it's no shame to lose to India at this point, but they kind of find themselves. I think in in, in most formats at the moment, they're kind of finding what their team's all about, and it's it's always been a a, a hallmark of the the great South African teams is just being gritty and determined and, you know, showing up. And I think you've, you've got you've got some players there you can build around. Dean Elgar's one, Faf Duplessis, although, you know, he's he's obviously a fairly senior player in there. And then... Aiden um, Markram. Aiden Markram. Gizo Rabada, those like guys coming through. Temba Bavuma is a guy I really rate as well, but... Quinton de Kock as well, like you say, just the, like for but a guy, got some serious consistency issues he needs to work on. Um, oh, he does, but when, if he can, if he can get more days at his best, so I think he'll um, he'll definitely carve out a really good international career. But um, like that run out against David Warner, remember that? that was, oh yeah, that he's a, he's an absolute weapon in the field. But uh, his batting's yeah, obviously he's not John T. Rhodes good. Where you'd carry him just for his fielding if he's not going to perform with the bat. And I think what but he I needs think, to do, he's got to start performing with the bat. And I think um, that's something that the South Africans really need. He's need got, from he's got him. some runs behind him, but yeah, he just he, he, like you say, he definitely needs to get that consistency and just you know start focusing on that. Probably maybe even getting the nets. I'd say <laughs> getting the nets. Um, but uh. uh yeah, just like they've got, they've got a core of a good team there, 
And it is, you know, the team's kind of... It just seems like they're dealing with the fact that they've lost two really great players in Hashim Amla and um, AB de Villiers. And it's just like... Like, they just got to kind of move on from that and kind of... It's the new generation kind of thing. It's just yeah, a bit of they're transition. In a, they're in a rebuild, a transition. They've got some, some bright lights that's uh, going to hold that team in good stead. Um, but it's just going to be that awkward period where... Those bright lights are adjusting to the test cricket and, you know, learning to play abroad and, you know, they're still finding their feet. So it's going to be a tough period, I don't know, for South Africa for probably the rest of this World Test Championship. Hopefully that they, uh, the guys like uh, Rabada and um, Philander can sort of bowl them to some victories when they're playing home test series and then even on more bowler-friendly decks like... Um, New Zealand, England, Australia sort of keep them in the fight but um, I see a lot of gaps in that batting order especially in the middle order for that team that I think that's going to be a, it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough world championship cycle for the um, world test championship cycle for the South Africans this time I think maybe yeah. you'll see probably world test championship 2.0 might be the one that they sort of really sort of stamp their authority and get back to that more yeah. dominant South African team that we uh, have come to enjoy over the last few decades just need to turn that potential into brilliance I guess like yeah, there's there's a long way to go from. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. All right. So yeah, well, uh, good to see that Robert Sharma is a, well, maybe not a fan, but at least listening, and he's decided that he didn't want to put that deposit down on that uh, that villa on Boulevard of Broken Dreams, and hopefully like- this is the beginning of a. Um, a fruitful career for him. He's obviously got the talent. We've seen the damage that he can do in one day cricket. But what he does need to do is obviously take that batting form abroad and score on pitches that you know aren't quite as conducive to to that the heavy handed aggressive batting style that we've uh, come to enjoy from him. He needs to be able to have that sort of um, bat within himself and do the hard work of an opener on decks that don't quite behave. Absolutely. But, um, I mean, the guy the guy's scoring about seven seventy odd, which is you know it's it's on the high end, but it's definitely he's 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 leaving balls, which is you know definitely not what you've seen. Like we didn't see that when he was over in Australia, and kind of just you know proper test innings, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's going to be the next test. But he can only score runs on the pitches that he's picked to play. So 100%. he's done. He's done that job. He's he, back to back hundreds opening the batting. That's all you can really ask from him. So. If he does manage to jag a spot onto the the next tour that the Indians go on, hopefully he uh, manages to keep that form rolling. And otherwise, like we said, we've got that villa waiting for you, Robert, on the boulevard. Does it does it count though as a shout out to us? I, re- I really think that is. I think it's a shout out. I think it's a well look. It might be have a slight twinge of spite to it, but it's definitely a shout out to our podcast. We'll, we'll take that. We'll take it. <laughs> Any news is good news, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so we're now down to the, the main part of our podcast, the segment titled, If I Were King for a Day. So, Scott, what if you were king for a day, what would be the first royal decree that you would have to change the great sport of cricket? Well, I think the, the really big thing that like I personally would look into as far as um, running the administration that is this beautiful game of cricket um, I'd, I'd go with um, the uh, umpiring to start with and like I think the first thing and we've, we've talked about for so long like, since they started really using this like ball tracking and technology in cricket is 
you got a guy up there in the box. He's sitting there for most of the day trying to stay awake. And, um, because he's pretty old, not because he doesn't enjoy the game. But, um, he, um, just sits there. And, well, I just don't see why he can't just watch the front foot. Have that guy who's out in the middle just solely focusing on what's going on with the batsman. So you're talking about having a camera set up showing live pictures of the bowlers running in at that front foot. Even Yeah, even to that extent, potentially. If, if, if not, just I'd personally just have him sitting there. Um, you could possibly even toy with something like that as well. I'm not sure how it would go down live, but um, if, if if it's definitive enough, he could just sit there and push a button or something like that, and he could just go bang, and it would make like a buzzing noise or something like that, or maybe a signal, I'm not sure, to the umpire just to say as quickly as possible put his arm up and say no ball or if not just the buzzer signifies that's a no ball and it's basically a free hit to the batsman live um that like just just going on from that it's just you know we've got the technology there this this would to me would be a positive use of the technology that you have there I completely agree I'm 100% on board with that uh, with that royal decree I think that yeah the, the third umpire the especially considering how much work the on-field umpires have to do around getting LBW decisions right and court behind decisions right with the reviews and how much their opinion is weighted. We'll get onto that it's a little bit later on. But we've, if we've you take it down the middle. Like it's, it's not an easy gig being an umpire and doing all that multitasking. Yeah. So take, just streamline that job, make it a little bit easier. Like You still have to go up through the ranks doing this stuff, but you just when you get to that level, you should just know just to look straight ahead. Yeah, just look straight ahead. How many, how many no balls get missed. It seems like in international cricket nowadays, they only ever call no balls unless if, unless it's miles over the line or if it was um, a wicket falls. They go and check the front foot if it's close. Like, they never seem to call no balls. I remember there was uh, watching a replay where one of... I think it might have been Mitchell Johnson, someone like that, took a wicket off a no ball and they showed his previous six deliveries leading up to that no ball, and there were two other no balls yeah. that weren't called, and they were the, massive no balls. The same balls. thing with Ishant Sharma in the last series in Australia. He was he was pushing that front line the whole time, and, and there was somewhere there where he was missing by a long way as well. And like, I guess it's hard to pick up when you're live and all this kind of stuff, but like, he, he was missing he was missing like religiously, and then the same thing happened. Yeah, he, he bowled a no ball on, on the delivery, and I get I, I, it seemed like he was almost angry at the umpire for like, you know, you should warn me. And it's just like I, I know that you know we all talk about you know why do you push the line? Why do you push the line? All that sort of stuff. But Sharma is one hundred percent right. The umpires, I don't know that it's been etiquette forever. The umpires give it like we do it in our club level. It's just warning, mate. You you towed the line there. Like that's that's close. And well, then you you bring it back in. I mean, how hard do bowlers have to work, especially in Test cricket and for Sharma in Indian conditions? to get a wicket. And yeah, he needs to be decent enough to keep his foot behind the line, but if he gets a tap on the shoulder, going, or if he bowls a no ball three balls before that no ball, that was a no ball, mate. Called no ball because he's paying attention. He goes and gets his run up right for the next deliveries and doesn't bowl that no ball yeah. that wicket-taking delivery. Um, mate, I, I agree with you. I think the third umpires should be... They've obviously got a camera on the the front, on that the, the, the popping crease where they land because... Whenever they go check the front foot no ball, they always go a camera angle of that. Just have that brought up live. Have the third umpire looking at it, and if it's a clear no ball, he radios down. If it's an unclear no ball, you go to him, mate. All right, just between balls, I need to have a closer look at that and slow that down because that one was pretty close. And considering how much no balls impact twenty twenties and one day internationals now with the free hit. Um, I know it's you know we don't want to slow the game down and all this sort of stuff, but you know 
they could really turn the tide of a, like especially a close run chase if you know that you've got a free hit coming up because they're like the bowlers have done the wrong thing and bowled a no ball they're getting away with it because they weren't checking because there wasn't a wicket there's not such a big impact in test cricket but I still think yeah. that you know you know runs are runs and all this sort of stuff like it'll, you, you it'll, should be just adjudicating the rules properly and the umpires are not calling no balls and, anymore and like I say it's um there's degrees in which you could do it like like you were saying, there's that there's that basic level where it's just kind of like he he calls a no ball, signals down to the umpire, the umpire, and it goes through stages. Like you could you could toy with it potentially using technology. And um, shout out to Glenno as well. Like you're talking about this this free hit thing. There could potentially even be where it, they eliminate the free hit and just have that no ball. Like like Glenn says, he, he, we were talking about this before the before the show started. And Glenno's contribution was he wants to eliminate the free hit, and I, and I think. Arguably, it is. It's 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 very much a tilt towards the batter's, batsman's favour in the sense that he does have that no ball potentially as a free hit, and then he has a free hit afterwards. I would argue which, though um, that, especially if it's a quick bowler, you don't have enough time as a batsman to be able to react and then throw the like the umpires aren't calling it as is. And if you're waiting for the umpire to go, no ball, there's not enough time for you to react as a batsman and go, right, I, but can, I, think, I can throw I think the kitchen sink at this there's one. Potentially, there potentially could be, like I say, if there was this kind of like you, setup. I'm not sure how it would work. You can't have Brett Lee running in and bowling a no ball and the umpire yelling out no ball. And then you go, oh, wait, I can throw. Like They're, they're just too quick. But you, but you have the potential still to play a slightly more loose shot. And even if it does spoon in the air, like how often do you see a free hit just... You know, he gets cleaned up or but something like that. Playing a loose shot, like it, it just it frees you up to throw to throw the bat, kind of just to you know do what you wouldn't normally do. If, if you hear that, but like I say, if, if in, my, in my mind, it'd just be like a guy bowls a ball, the umpire on, on the screen sees it. and I'm not sure how it'd actually play out in reality, but potentially just push a button straight away. He sees a clear no ball, pushes a button, buzzer goes off, no ball, and the guy just like you'd hear that as a batsman. Potentially, if, if you were disciplined enough, you just go, oh, cool, that's a no ball, bang, hit it straight away. Potentially guiding it for four, or potentially, especially with a, particularly with a, with a slower type bowler or a seam up bowler, you still would have a bit of time to potentially just go, crap, straight down the wicket, change your shot a bit. If not, maybe, you know, do a bit of a woolly wooshka down the leg side, especially with the, like a lot of slow balls that are bowled in short form and stuff like that. Mm. If a guy bowls you a short, like a slow ball bouncer or something like that, you've got three minutes to think about what kind of shot you're going to play and just. I, I think we're possibly convoluting the rule. I think it, I don't think you need to change too much. I think the free hits are a bit of a spectacle, especially in T20 and one-day cricket. You know, Obviously, the Glenn's leaning in that direction because he feels that the batsmen are already at a, a, enough of an advantage without yeah, giving that, the bowler that, that would a be... ball that they can't do anything with. But I think that's part... Like that's, That is the game. The game in one-day cricket is to score runs. Boundaries, big hits, all that short-form cricket is geared around... Explosive batting. It's come. Yeah. It's come a long way from where it used to be, where it was a bit more even. But these things are keel. cyclical. Like, so there, there I, could I, be a time where it comes back to that as well. So I think you just you just do the same thing that they have now, except the third umpire calls it either on screen or radios down, because realistically, like we say that there might be enough time that you could alter your shot, but realistically, you're not. By the time the umpire has has seen that it's a no ball, reacted, signaled. You understanding that signal, yeah, well, reacting to that, you at, haven't got enough time to that, then go. At that and, level, you wouldn't be able to do it. So, like, so, if, if you're going to do it that way, then yeah, it's just it's just literally he'd get a signal, then he'd, he'd call it after the fact. Yeah, so like, you like, just a, have like that. a genuine you no just ball. Have that, kind of thing. That's a no ball. 
next ball is a free hit. And the third umpire looks at that. That way, the on-field umpire can just look at, you know, look at the tram tracks, make sure the ball's pitching where it's, you know, pitching, hitting, doesn't have to go, and, you know, you're looking down to make sure the feet are right. By the time you've managed to look up and get a gauge on where you're actually supposed to be looking, if you'll, you know... When, when Sean Tate's like bowling at 160. Sean Tate or Archer or Mitchell Stark, and you've got those slingy actions where it's coming around, and you're looking at his front foot and then have to bring your eyes up to see where, you know, it's too quick. You just have the, the umpire ready, looking as it is, Third umpire's looking on a TV screen, and it just singles down. Test cricket doesn't matter. They have bloody two hours between deliveries as it is. That's why we can't have yeah, but it's 90 also, overs in a day. It's That's also just, keeping your head settled. You've, you've literally got yourself, ideally so, you've got yourself as an umpire just purely set up to envisage what the what the tracking of the ball would be and that's what you want yep you've got like, get you've those got... decisions right you have the video the third umpire looking at just a live picture of that a lot of the time you could probably tell you know those easy ones and there's no harm no foul you just quick radio down it's a no ball bang no ball one day international signals a free hit if it's a test match you go bowl the ball again yeah it, you're not you're not really shortchanged as a and for me that's that's perfect like that that's 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 the way they could start it and just just do it like there's potential, like this is this is just postulating for a much later date, and I don't I don't know if it would be practical, and I'm, like it's just an idea that is being thrown around between you know between you me and the, the water cooler, but um I just like I think it's potentially a really good idea. Um, the good thing about it is I, you don't need to add any infrastructure to this rule. Everything's no, there. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's just. It just assigning, adds a bit more work to a fourth official who's probably watching every ball anyway. Yeah, you're just assigning the role to someone who is in a far better position to do the role properly. He because just, he just needs to watch a different screen, basically. The, the on-field umpires... He doesn't, like, honestly, what's the third umpire doing until someone sends up for a review? Like I say, like, he's, I don't know he's napping. He doesn't have to do anything. He's just watching that, and they go, yep, he doesn't think that's out. Have a look for me. Like, he doesn't have any... As far as I'm aware, the third umpire doesn't have any jobs to do between deliveries. So if you just go, look, what I need you to do is you need to look at this screen, which is just a shot of... You know, that shot of where the foot falls, which they always use. And if that ball... The, you know, the foot lands over the line, call no ball. If you think it was close and you need to slow it down, signal to the umpire, um, I need to slow that down, get him to hold up on his next delivery. So you need to get these calls right because... See, in my mind, though, he's, he's sitting up there in a big room full of cricket balls where they get those out and they just throw them in the, in the box when they have to replace a cricket ball which yeah. seems to be every other over nowadays in test cricket but um no yeah it's, it's definitely something they could do but like leading on from that that they would be um king for a day my next thing would be um with the with the LBW officiating would be um so in my mind nowadays the process especially in the light of this recent Ashes series you've got a lot of calls where like you've got this instant decision and they have a soft signal nowadays first things first get rid of that soft signal I, I don't I don't really see why that needs to be in this current iteration of cricket for, for LBWs or for, for, for LBWs well they need to have given decision because that's how the batsman then yeah but the team reviews but the, it the, 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 that, that signal has a lot of bearing on how the ball tracking goes so in my mind so, so how, how it would work for me would be a guy the guy bowls the ball releases the ball um Ball looks like it's going down leg, but the umpire sees it as kind of more middle and leg, like where it's going to hit kind of thing. Um, so he puts his finger up, decision goes upstairs. Um, as as that like decision's going up, the umpire just kind of announces and says, my idea of um, what was happening was the ball had a slight, like a slightly in-swing, we'll say like he's bowling to a right-hander, right-hander behind a right-hander, slight in-swinging ball, comes in, 
pitches just outside the off stump and hits in front of middle. Then that comes up on the screen and it's quite clearly, you know, pitched on off stump and has swung enough that it's probably, it's quite clearly going to go down leg side. And he sits there and says, oh, well, that's not what I saw. It's a bit hard, probably, you know, a bit of ego, ego bruise for the umpire, but you just sit there and say, that's not what I saw live. My bad. Reverse the decision. As opposed to nowadays he goes, bang, he's out. Like classic example is a couple of those LBWs, um, uh, uh, a Cameron Bancroft one quite early on in the series where it was probably missing like you know this much on height and this much on width but umpires calls kind of a thing because of the technology and whatever else well I think actually my first decree might clear up a lot of the issues that you're having so my first decree would be to get rid of umpires call so the LBW um, system works completely the same but rather than having umpires call all of the ball tracking is done the same way that we do ball tracking in tennis. So we we basically we want to accept as you know the ICC and everyone like wants to accept ball tracking is the method that we are going to dismiss batsmen for LBW decisions. So don't factor in a margin of error. Just go. We're trying to predict the future. This is our computer program to predict the future. What we're going to do is what this says is what goes. Vote yes everyone's happy to do it, then we don't. We go with it. We don't have a margin for error. If there is a, just a fragment of that ball pitching in line, the ball is pitching in line. Same as in tennis. You get a, just a fraction of that ball hitting the line, then it's in. So just get rid of that altogether. So if it's... If you've got the, you got the lines there, if outside corner of that ball is pitching, you know in line with the stumps, goes on to impact in line with the stumps, and then just ends up grazing the stumps, then you go, and that's out. It's simple. Ball hits, it's out. Ball misses, it's not. You don't have to worry about... Because I think that's what you're upset about, and what I'm upset about with LBW decisions, is depending on what the umpire says, you can get two different outcomes to the same ball. But I, I think the, the big issue for me is that there still is that margin of error with the technology. And well, there's always what, going to be the, margin error when you're asking the, a computer program to predict the future. Like, it's not set in stone. But should, but should that margin of error be deciding tests? Because the, the, the problem with that is, you, you talk about um, the no ball being a batting-friendly option then that's very much a bowling-friendly option for me as well because well, it's literally just got to graze the stumps then and then by the, by the letter of the law, that's more out than argue. Like I've seen balls hit the stumps and they... they but it's consistent though. That's all I'm after is consistency. I can't... Especially considering that umpires have... There's a human element to umpiring. There are umpires that could look at that and go, yep, that's definitely hitting. Or there are umpires going, oh, maybe not. And you just get the same ball, depending on how someone interprets it, can be out or not out. And then if you get an umpire that may have had a couple of decisions overturned, might be thinking in his head, I thought I think that's out, but I got a couple wrong a couple of overs ago, and second guesses himself, just make a clear cut. This is what the review system is supposed to be able to do. It's supposed to give you as much evidence as it can to look at it and go, bang, the umpire got that wrong or the umpire got that right. Don't take your system that's designed to back up the umpires and inbuild a flaw in it. Because that's all you're doing with the umpire's call. You're taking the safety net and you're poking holes in it. Because that's what the system's there to for. The system's there to be to do what the the human eye can't do, and pick up on all those on all those little idiosyncrasies of it and all the you know everything that's happening almost too fast for the eye can see. That's what you got ball tracking for. But because we want to 
give the umpires this illusion of power, we're now letting their opinion sway what the computer says. Like, if the umpire swears, I swear there was a nick on that, and they go to Snicko, and there was no nick on it, we don't go, well, the umpire swore blind that there was a nick on it, so we're going to go, like, you, you get what I mean? Like, we've got but a it, system... It'd be, it'd be interesting to see how much of that lends itself to the actual multitasking of the job. Like, that would be, that'd be like... I guess something that you'd, you'd have to do over a few months, but it'd be interesting to see how if they were just purely focused on watching, especially with LBWs. I think personally, is just if you're just watching that the batsman, how 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 the error rates in what they're seeing because it's just it's just it's just genuinely interesting to me sometimes when you're watching a, an umpire and you look at it live, your mate looks at it live, and you both sit there in the pub and you're just like, that's that's not out. Like, how, how do you think that was out? And it comes it comes back and it's missing leg by, you know, a good couple of inches kind of thing. And he has to overturn his decision. And it, it, like he, I, in, in my mind, he's just genuinely looking at it and just going, well, how many it, decisions I, I that, was out? that we were watching the Ashes where they would give the Aussies out um, and it would come up umpire's call yeah. and the Australians would be out because the umpires gave the Australians out. But when, the, terrifying when, the, one for, when um, the Australians were bowling, they... There, how many decisions we see that looked very, very similar to the way that the um, England players got us out, but they'd give it not out and they'd go to umpire's call and it would remain not out even though it was just as out or even more out than some of the other yeah. deliveries. And that's what... Which I think, is the decision-making's flawed in that in Yeah, that but you see, if you had, a, if you had um, a system where you just take that umpire's call out and you just go on pure ball tracking and what it says, then it, there's no... You don't have to worry about that. I don't see why we're putting a human element into our system that is supposed to correct the human element. So if you had that... So, yeah, it might have come back... In a lot of those deliveries, the ball-tracking ones, all of those decisions would have been out because they were just grazing the stumps or grazing leg stump. But it's just really infuriating as a fan to go and watch, well, Stuart Broad got that in the first innings and it was given out. Josh Hazelwood's done the exact same thing and the umpire's not given it out, but it's essentially the same ball. Whereas if you go and review that... It then becomes out. I just think the 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 only the only thing that I'd change about that is I just I still think that that you got to give that the batsman as as the current standard sits you got to give that batsman the half the ball because well then, of just then purely, don't make an umpire's call make it then it, it hasn't there whatever percentage yeah, of the ball I just, we, I just we have, deem it needs to I'd, be I'd have red green blue you know like like they have now red green blue and the, 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 the so sorry red red. Um, yellow and then green. Sorry. So the yellow is obviously um, umpire's call, but if it's yellow, it's still not out. So it just kind of err on that side of safety, just just wherever it's tracking, because it's still. I think I think if you if you make it consistent for everybody, for everything, you just go look. This is what the rules are. If it's if a, the the tiniest part of that ball is pitching in line with the stumps, then the ball's pitching in line with the stumps, and then that way everyone knows where they stand. Yeah, you might be able to go, oh, but what if, what if, you've had balls that graze the stumps, they're just, you know, meh, irrelevant. This is the rules. Everyone's playing by the rules. There's no, this umpire is having a good day and that umpire is having a bad day and, you you know, if you're bowling from the other end, you probably would have got it because the other guy doesn't give as many decisions. There's none of that. It's yeah. just, it's just, just cut and dry. This is what our technology says and ball tracking will progressively improve and that margin of error will get smaller and smaller as the the technology improves but if you just have everyone a, a standardized baseline where it's this is what the ball tracking says and we're going off it ball is hitting the stumps you're out and then everyone knows where they stand 
The, the, that, the problem with that is that the implication is that the technology is improving, which I don't think it is. I actually think, if anything, it's kind of getting a bit more patchy, which isn't... Like, I'm not sure how it all works and obviously the ins and outs of the technology, but the, the, the improvement just seems to have, it at best, stagnated and just plateaued. But, um, yeah, I think I think the, the interesting part of that is, obviously, you're coming out from a bowler's perspective and I'm coming out from a bat's perspective, which is... Um, I guess the big debate about that, but I do I do agree with you in in the sentiment that well, it, it needs to be black and white. It I needs think to obviously be, as you can't you can't have this idiosyncrasy of the guy who's seen it live, his decision, which is potentially the wrong decision, has being, a massive being, standing. Being the yeah, being like, a massive standpoint. It's, it's half the ball. Half the ball is that margin of error now. So, and you and, know, and, that's, like, and that's what I and mean. So if you've got any less, if you go, if the umpire says it's not out, and as a bowler. You review that. If less than half the ball is hitting the stumps, then you don't get that decision. And you like if half the ball crashes into off stump, you're almost knocking that thing out of the ground. Like I've seen, I've seen um, uh, DRSs where they've gone through that and they've shown it where you've got that line that's halfway through the ball and the stump is basically on top of that line, but not enough. But because it was given not out, that has been that has stayed not out when that is. Knocking that stump. If you got that much ball hitting the stump, it's knocking it out of the ground, but and the, that's the sort of thing. But that the alternative just, is as well, where you got um, uh, Ravi Ashwin bowling to Glenn Maxwell in the in, in a way India series. I think it might be the last one actually. Um, ball pitches outside off, just yellow. Pitches in line with the stumps, just yellow again. It didn't look out live to me personally. I remember watching it at the time, just thinking like, as a as a like cricketing fan in general, it's a bit hard to be objective with these things because I am a fan of Australia as well but I just sat there live and just thought it's just not like it's just bad officiating to sit there and say that an off spinner who's you know cutting across a guy like that that much to give him out LBW off that where it's just literally it was so close to being outside the line and so close to being like you know yeah. potentially missing the stumps as well it's, just, it, and, it's and, I, and I understand that but I think that while that, batsmen initially would not like it because obviously they're going to get out more with that system because the ball, you know... I just, think, I just think it undercuts become... that whole batting emphasis they have. And that would be the only thing I'd change about your theory is that you, you you just have that you have that green which is still... It errs on the side of the batsman. Instead of being an umpire's call type thing, it's just the green is... that We're not we're not sure how close it is. And maybe even if you find it down a bit more to, to less than half a ball, you know... Because theoretically, the technology should be able to pick that up straight away. However yeah. close it is, whatever whatever fineness you want to do it to, whatever they think the margin of error is, just put it down to that. Because that's all I want is just to if 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 there is a potential flaw in it, still, you just want it, you want to get rid of that. You want to eliminate that to the point where it's just you know, like we want to be sure this guy's out. Because a wicket's rule. a wicket. There's only ten wickets in the game, and that's that's the way I look at it. Is there's only ten wickets in the game. There's however many balls a guy wants to bowl in a game. So, it's just, you know, Steve Smith's wicket's so important to Australia at the moment. Virat Kohli's wicket's so important to India. Kane Williams' wicket's so close. It's like, that, that, that in, in that Ashes series where Steve Smith, in one, I, think it was, I think it was even the first innings of the first test, where he left a ball outside off stump. He knew where his off stump was. He was very certain that it was going to miss the stumps. The umpire puts his finger up and says, that looked out to me. And all that needed to do was just clip, like, you know, with the ball track, you just need to show that it was clipping the stumps. And by your theory... That's out, oh, well, and by his and by the current system, it's out. Yeah, and and to be honest, that's really all it should be. Like if the ball's clipping the stumps, 
But it, but it, but it wasn't that it, like particular it, it, one. It you just were... needed to touch it by like just according to ball tracking by a fraction, and that's it. And for me, that's just that's the real flaw in that in that kind of in the way that you'd run that is just like Steve Smith knew he was leaving that ball. And it, well, in, in his mind, and but even to the point where it's just like even if he sees that it was potentially out there. And he had to say not out. Then it's just it's kind of going to kind of knock him. But Steve Smith knows where he's off stump. He's like that's probably the best part, part about his game at the moment. And there's so many things to like about his game. It's just he's leaving the ball so well, and he did that well in that instance. But it was just like no, it hit him on the pad, so it must be close to being out. Yeah, I remember that one. It was he he was standing probably three or four stumps outside off, and he left it, and it's clipped him on his back leg. And that one, ball tracking actually held up for Steve Smith, so that was... It did, that but, was but like, I, just, red, I just remember watching that live. That was, was one red and two greens, so... And I was I was talking with... I, I can't remember if I was talking with you, or, but, but um, I was just sitting there, I was just like, it, it's such a bad call to say live, because it didn't even look out, but all that needed to do was just flick, just a little tiny flick of the stumps to say that there was that yellow there, and he was out. <laughs> And that just, that's just what concerns me about that about that kind of with the ball tracking. Well, like I said, I think if everything's consistent, then people will get used to it because they know that when it comes down to when they go out to field and their bowlers are bowling, all they need to do is just flick the stumps and if the umpire gives it not out, they can go yeah. upstairs and go ball tracking says that's it, it not like, enough to... Like I say, I think it's just kind of a batter's perspective versus a bowler's perspective on this. and. And I think, but I, 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 think I, do, I do agree with you that it needs to be. I, I don't like this whole. He's basically like the the the, 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 the flawed decision making buys into the. Yeah, and I'm happy to wear some of those ones where it might be touch and go that that was doing enough to knock the bales off to make sure that those ones where half the ball's hitting the stumps but was given not out are become out because we we we've I'm pretty sure the rules actually half the ball needs to be hitting half of the stump so it needs to be halfway up the stump there needs to be half of the ball on sort of so it's half a stump and half a cricket ball is the well that was that was was more than enough that was the way the um, that was the way the umpires were trained wasn't it was that if they saw it that way but like i say i just i just think it's different to an umpire seeing it that way because and if the the, human error is a is a flawed thing like you know it's a thing it it, like we we see things Wrong occasionally, and even uh, like, even if the guy's staring at it, you can see it differently occasionally. But I just think the technology's there. If you're going to use it, you got to make sure it's a hundred percent right. That's 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 the only thing I'd say. And I just don't see why we've got technology which we then build in a flaw. I think that's if if anything, I think this is a way of the ICC. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. That, that, that umpire's to... call thing is just is just ridiculous. I wouldn't be surprised having not looked into the the ruling behind it at all. But I wouldn't be surprised. If the reason why they put it in there is to protect the umpire's um, decision percentage, because we've seen a few of those that really should be out that were given not out, or vice versa, and then they use the umpire's call to go, "Well, it's pretty close. We're not going to blame the umpires for getting that one wrong," sort of thing, because it's come up umpire's call, so it doesn't come down as an incorrect decision. Which is, which, which is, I think, it's is, an interesting mindset, though, isn't you it? You just because... need to change your metric. If you're looking at that, going, "Okay, the umpire's decision was overturned. Why was it overturned?" Because this is, and then you go and use your mapping, and you go, okay, well, I can see why you would have given that out. You look at that and go, well, this much of the ball is pitching, you know, in line with the stumps, and then, then this much of the balls ended up hitting it. Yeah, that that's there's not a lot in that. Um, you don't need, you know, just do a little bit. If you when you're assessing your umpires, do a little bit of more work into it. You know, there's 
there's everyone uses pitch maps. All of the yeah. the the broadcasters have those those pitch maps where they show where all the deliveries are. So that's fine. You go and look at your decisions that were overturned. You just bring up the pitch map for that delivery, and it just shows your DRS tracking, and go, all right, well, that's clearly pitched in line. You said it didn't. That's clearly hit the stumps, and you thought it was going over. And then you can identify what was wrong there. But if it's just clipping, then you go, okay, I can see why you were on the side of caution. Obviously, batsmen's have only got one dismissal, and you and you know the umpires can then umpire in favour of which, the batsman. Which, like I say, in in our ideal kingdom, it would be that. You know, you'd have this guy just purely focusing on that, and it, it would eliminate his like his flawed decision making a lot. I'd say, I, I, like that, that's the way I'd look at it. Is just if he's actually just staring at that, then his he the, the way he looks at it might be, yeah, like you say, it might be judged differently. If it's so um, cut and dry, though, if you have a, a definitive way of how it's going to work, you can then umpire. Well, it was cut to benefit the batsman, so you can give the benefit of the doubt. You can just go, I want any doubt that you have because we've got this system, which now does not take your opinion into account, which doesn't... So if you get it wrong, we're just going to use the system and the system will give us what it thinks the right answer is and your decision doesn't influence that. But then you can give yeah. the mandate to the umpires, any doubt goes to the batsman. And then it's up to the um, the bowling team and it becomes up to the bowling captain to go, well, I think you're wrong and not have to go, oh, if I, only, if I get a yellow, I'm stuffed. You can just go, well, no, I, that's definitely part of that ball is hitting the stumps. I'll review that. Yeah, but we don't. We also don't need to worry about... Like, I think this, this is one of the fundamental flaws of the, the umpiring selection as well, which, like, I don't want to knock anyone for doing umpiring because umpiring is one of the most thankless jobs that there is in any arena. But um, you don't need to, like, worry about decision percentages and... You know, if if these guys are making the wrong calls, then they're not yeah, up just, to the standard. You just need to make sure that they're, you know, these guys out there are doing the right decisions. And none of this, none of this would matter. Think about: Do you think it was out? Um, I'm not sure, so I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to the batsman. Oh, that's definitely out. Then you give it definitely out. You, when you've got when you've got a system to review it, like it's like Snicko. Snicko's simple. Did he hit it? I think he hit it. The batsman goes, I didn't hit it, and reviews it replays and Snicko comes back and shows that he either hit it or he didn't. And I think we need to get, even though ball tracking is is not an exact science, if we get it as exact as it can be, it becomes simpler to use. So it just becomes down to, I don't think it's out because, you know, he doesn't give a reason, he just says not out. You know, he might say, I think it was too high or what have you, but, you know, that's usually the, the, the fielding team will just go, well, I don't see why you don't think it was out and review it. Ball tracking just goes... Pitching outside off, hitting in line, impacting the stumps. Bang. Doesn't matter how much of the ball, but it's it's ticked those boxes, just like in tennis. Yeah. It's hit those lines, and then you can move on. You know, people might go, oh, it's only just grazing, but at least everyone's got that clear, concise, did he hit it? Did he not hit it? Is it hitting the stumps? Is it not hitting the stumps? You just make it it's, nice it, and simple. It's a line in the sand. And, yeah, I, it's, de- it's definitely, um, I think, what, what we can garner from... The discussion is that, you know, I think we both agree that umpires' call is it's not it's, right. It's just it's just not it, it, like it, it's far too like like I say like I said at the start this is um, it's far too a, inconsistent. A, a guy's sitting there and he watches it live and he sits there and he sees something and what he's seeing is completely wrong, but he puts his finger up. Then that has far too much bearing on, on how that review system works. On ex- exactly, 
if they could just do away with that in whatever format, I think that would be. If, if look, if we're both running the kingdom at the same time, that would be a pretty fair middle ground. But obviously, only one of us would be ruling, and we have a bit of a d- divided opinion about that. We could be the Spartans. They had two kings. Yeah, well, for your history buffs out there, they had two kings at the time. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to. Have you got another decree? We think you'd like to change. Well, I think you'd like to. I think personally, do if you were in charge. We're treading into dicey territory now, but I think as far as growing the game of cricket, because at the end of the day, this like this this game, um, it's it's pretty far reaching, but I think there's potential for it to be definitely further reaching. Um, Examples being like the UAE going in the last World Cup. There's 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 countries out there that have shown a genuine interest but haven't developed enough, and that would be where I'd be going next, would be developing more into the grassroots of different countries and expanding the reach. I personally would expand the front in Asia. I think there's, um, you know, the, like, like I say, the Saudi countries, there's, like, we, we're getting young talent like um, Sunil Lamashane, who's played in the last BBL from Nepal. There's so many places in that area where you could... Like there is, it's already shown that there is interest in the game, and you could just you could just grow that and grow that. So, what's your end game? More player numbers or uh, more test think, playing I think, numbers? I think or? player participation, which would in turn there there is money in those areas. I think as well, and that, like the, the assumption being that you know you'd have to fork out too much money would be is like seems to be the stopping point. But there is potential for those for those places to stand on their own two feet. I think in a, in a lot of areas there is. Um, you know, just just look at the investment that there is in you know from um, like Manchester City, for example, or the City Group is in soccer is own it owns a fair share of um, several different soccer playing um, teams in different countries. There is potential for investment in these areas, and I just think that that's you know you just you just want to this this the, the the game personally I think is like, like it's it's one of the greatest sports. Well, it is for me personally the the greatest sport. On this, on on Earth, and um, I just think it needs to, you know, th- th- there is potential for it to grow into those areas, and to have more representation in every, in all three facets of the game. Well, it's funny you should say that because my other decree is also about the expansion of cricket, um, but mine is a, a much more specific target. I would like, if I was in charge of cricket, would be setting up an aggressive expansion campaign in the United States. The reason being. What hampers expansion into other nations, nations like Afghanistan and Nepal and all those places, is financially speaking, those countries aren't very well off. Same with some of your African nations, where you would think that there would be quite a pool of talent to pick from. I mean, look at all of the you know, pro-American sports that send over scouting troops over to to Africa to find basketball players. You know, some really big names in basketball were just picked out of obscurity from just a trip to the trip to Africa and you know, the NBA and Major League Baseball and places like that do it really well where they go over and find athletes in in um, where they're just looking at body shapes and body types and then they come and take them and teach them how to play. So but you know, all those nations like that, they don't really have a very stable financial infrastructure as a country, let alone as a as a cricketing association. I think if you expand in the United States, the United States is one of the wealthiest markets in the world has 300 million people living in it. 
If you can entrench yourself and get cricket to be followed, even to the level of something like Major League Soccer, which I know is a bit of a pipe dream considering America's cultural climate, but if you aim at that, which is... Major League Soccer is, in the big scheme of things, is not a very well-supported sport when you compare it to uh, American football, baseball, basketball, NASCAR, all those sort of sports, and it still turns out a tidy financial numbers. If you get a cricket association to that level, it would be gen- it would be self-sustaining. What stops us from expanding into those countries is essentially we're dipping into India's pockets to try and fund all of these, you know, third world countries into playing proper cricket. And you know, you know what India's like. It likes to make sure it holds on to as much money Screw as it can. All so its money, yeah. it's very hard to convince. India to go basically and pay for all of these countries to, to play cricket, which is kind of what we need them to do. And I, I know the ICC is what is actually paying those those countries, but as we know, India supplies almost 70% of the ICC's global revenue. So it's essentially India is paying for everyone to play cricket, and they don't want to do that and dip into their profits even more. If you've got America being sustainable, it would generate almost... I think it would overtake us, England, and South Africa if you had a market share around the same level as Major League Soccer. And then you actually have more of a pool from the ICC to draw from to then expand your game. So while I'm saying target America, it's actually a doorway into growing, having enough money to grow the game into areas like you're talking about, into some of those less well-off Asian countries. The interesting part about that is that, obviously, the ICC's model is unlike a lot of other sporting models in the sense that for, for me personally the way the way it should be run is you should be funneling money from different nations because for, for Australians for, for, sorry for um, cricket particularly is that it makes money it, like 2020 makes a lot of money test matches not so much one day internationals you know there's potential there to be making money it should be paying money so that they can support these second-tier nations. And yeah, like you say, it's inequitable because India makes the most money. But the theory is, I guess, that um, you, you've got to you've got to kind of tax these things the way that you tax everything else, you know, just so that you can you you know you can sustain your game. Like it, it, it just it, we're stuck in this system now where. Um, I don't want to get too political about it, but I just I just genuinely think that you've got your rich top tier nations. The rich are getting richer, and the poor aren't going anywhere. You've got exactly you've got you know you've got potential. Like we 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 just talked about it a couple of podcasts ago. How Bangladesh has this really promising young team. Afghanistan has this really promising promising team, but they need to be nurtured. You need to like you're not going to go anywhere with these with this sport in that bottom rung unless you start you know. Branching out yeah, into different we're, nations. We were talking about um, the the having a second tier in the World Test Championship and a relegation system. Like, I really like the World Test Championship, but at the moment, why we've just given Afghanistan and Ireland test status, but what is to gain from them playing yeah, test but, cricket? I mean, none of the other nations really want to play them in test cricket because it won't affect their test World Test Championship score because they're not in the top eight teams. And they can't go anywhere. They don't can't play enough cricket to crack into the top eight. 
So there's just sort of in this and treadmill where they're not de- doing anything. It'd be depressingly sad to see how much money is being thrown, even in a, even from like a BBL level or an IPL. Like IPL is just a monster. It's a you know it's a hydra which is just unwieldy. But you've got like got individual salaries of players in the BBL alone. You could potentially set up you know some pretty modest competitions with that kind of money and it, mm. you know I guess it's essentially the, the debate about professional sport is that these top level athletes get paid too well and you know it's a very conservative standpoint and don't get me wrong these guys earn their pay they like the, the best of the best for a reason but there, there just should be a way where and even to, potentially to a personal level where you get those top tier athletes and they get pat, taxed you know part of that goes towards and it could potentially be like a, well, like a, like yeah, a donation the thing. Australian cricket team actually has a um uh, a salary sharing structure, I believe. I'd have to look into it, but I know that a, a section yeah, for, of the for individual players, yeah. for the individual players' salaries, well, there's a section of that that is deducted to go towards grassroots cricket. Yeah, which is um, perfect. It's awesome. But why not do exactly the same thing, but internationally? You know, like a, like a foreign aid. And kind that's what of I mean. Setup. You need to, we need to get more nations involved, where uh, that actually are financially stable enough to do so. I mean, you. It just, when you it, India is making seventy percent of your yeah, global income, it basically it just, means that you like Australia and England must really only just be a, just above breaking even. If I can't imagine that you know cricket New Zealand is rolling in it or cricket South Africa is rolling in it, so for New, India to be making up so much of that global and, income, and that's what I mean. When that's you go, why it's you hard go, to get money from anywhere else the, the, because the, those teams are only just looking after the themselves. Reason, the reason why they're not making this money is because they have to pay these players, and oh, you know, these pesky players that make up the game are getting paid too well. And it's like, well, no, they're they're doing their job. But like I say, you just get to the point yeah, where it's all about out of their, out of their pay, the, paycheck should just come a little tiny percentage and just give it to these guys because at the end of the day, it just seems like right now we're sitting there and we've got these big. Buffed up, bulky nations that are you know the best of the best, and they are the best of the best. And they're you know there's arguably you know on any given day there's about eight teams that are you know quite good and they've got really good talent to, to choose from. So like it just, but it just seems like everyone else beyond yeah. that is just like go fend for yourself, look after yourself. Which is why I think that growing the game into America, which has got such a rich market, so so much money in the American market, will help aid that because there's just there's yeah. another another pot that you can dip your hand into. So I've got a few 100%. ways that I'd um, I'd look at cracking into that market. Obviously, the first thing you need to do is make the the game appealing to the wider audience. Had a bit of research into that, and apparently across the United States, um, as of 2018, there were 200,000 participants playing cricket so there's obviously a bit of a market there in the United States of people who are actively playing cricket just for a bit of an example according to the my cricket numbers at the end of 2018 we had somewhere in the vicinity of a half a million people so considering that cricket is the summer sport in Australia and it only attracted half a million people and cricket isn't really held in very high regard in the United States and it got 200,000 people I think there's a bit of a market there so my first my first call would be um Revisiting some of those um, ideas we had where we took some showcase teams over. I'd do a few different things. I'd uh, obviously bury a ton of money into marketing it over there. I'd desperately be trying to get the Big Bash, the IPL, the, the NatWest T20 Blast, all the CPL, those things broadcast in some vicinity, even if we don't even get any money from them, but get, get them shown on American TV. I'd then be asking India and... Possibly Pakistan, you know, but India and some other fairly prominent nation to go and do a neutral 
uh, a neutral ground tour of America. So go because India obviously has the most following worldwide. There'd be plenty of Indian expats in the United States. Enough there to draw the interest. Get them playing over there. Get them doing a couple of games. You know, take it to I uh, think Indiana, um, Miami, Florida has got a, ga- a ground there. Maybe try and do what they did a few years ago where they retrofitted a few um, uh, baseball grounds into a cricket field, which didn't yeah. work entirely well. But you know what I mean? You need to find the right venue, and absolutely. Get a, and get it prominent in there. And this isn't going to happen overnight. Do this a few times. Get, um, get America hosting like a... Um, you know the the second the associate nations get them playing like a champions trophy tournament or the world cup qualifiers or what have you get America hosting that have that happen over there just flood whatever expendable um, cricket matches you can to America get them watching really good high level cricket that'll pique your interest just the same way America brings exhibition um basketball games to other countries. The NBA does it really well. They take games to London. They take games to Mexico City. Um, they recently brought Team USA out to Australia to play. Um, I know the NFL, not the NFL, sorry, college football takes um, games from to, to overseas. They recently brought a game, of, a, a game out here. I mean, even the EPL. The EPL brings... You know, well, just played a couple they bring of games. their teams over in warm-up fashion. Yeah, yeah so they but, play games in other markets. So get that there. Get cricket in the market. The next thing you, you need to do... You know what I'd do, with, just to add to that, just before you move on, mate, is um, I, I, the, the, the big thing I'd do in conjunction with that is potentially, and it, it'd be very interesting to see how they'd organise it, but I'd, I'd, just, I'd grab a guy from America and see just a guy who has potential to be a really decent cricket player. And it would take a couple of years, don't get me wrong, but just maybe throw him in there. Like, and, and it depends on what capacity they want to do it as far as just a gimmick or if they want to actually genuinely invest in this guy and try and make him a cricket player and just be like, and he's the American, you know, super sub, pinch hitter guy. Oh, you mean like in. a reality TV show sort of thing? Yeah, like potentially. The yeah, and just like get him to come and, you know, maybe play for Pakistan or something like that in, in that lineup and just have like so a guy they can it rally around as well. It wouldn't be Pakistan. It'd have to be one of those domestic T20 tournaments. You wouldn't be able to get them playing for a nation. Yeah. But if you go and get um, like a development player to come and play, say, for example, gets to come over and play for the Brisbane Heat and he's have- your American... Yeah, your American import. Just have, just have the fa- the thing. the face of America kind of thing. Just kind of be like you know this this guy is you know like like in rugby league parlance in Australia is like the Daily Messenger you know like a flagship guy or like a Don Bradman from way back in cricket or a W G Grace or you know just a personality of cricket where these guys like they loved him and he starts off and he you know potentially just. It, it, it could be it could work the same in a lot of you know different but you just kind of you, you introduce these guys into domestic tournaments over here in Australia or in England or somewhere and he starts developing and then eventually you know when this tournament rolls around he's unveiled to the to the public in America and someone to get behind it's, it's you know it's a, it's a marketing thing kind of thing I guess yeah that leads into something else that I wanted to um, actually it leads in really well to two points I wanted to bring up with this as well one of them being is that the ICC should put some funding into setting up some cricket academies in the United States where they can go and then help develop, nurture talent, similar way to the collegiate system's got it, set up like the AIS in Canberra, but set up something... Centre of Excellence. A Centre of Excellence. Set up something semi-permanent where they can, you know, really, you know, fill it with the best coaches, you know, um, get it in there, try and identify like a just a real blitz on scouting potential talent. The other thing 
Do you remember a few years ago, and I'm not sure what the name of the, what was called, it's changed too many times, but it was in the one day, domestic one day tournament, we had the Cricket Australia 11, which was the best 11 of the players that weren't contracted to their state's one day squads. Yeah. So Hilton Cartwright and a few players like that missed out on playing for WA. Real so up and got, comers. So got filtered into this. Yeah. Why don't you bring over the United States to be an, a team in like the sixth team in that Marsh Cup. So you have Western Australia and New South Wales and da 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 playing that that's domestic what they do with one Scotland. Cup. Scotland has a team in the ODI top competition and, like, and bring I America could, I over. Yeah, just to play, just to play um, against up, Australian set states. Them up, set them up in Canberra or somewhere like that, and just have them play out of Monica or somewhere like that. Yep. Just, just do it, even if they don't have a home ground. They're just going around to different ones, and you just and as part of that contingent, they you know part of the Cricket Australia coaching staff buddy up with that American team for the duration of the tournament and then they, you make an agreement they go over and I think county's probably a bit too convoluted but you know what I mean get that yeah, team 100%. coming over and playing and once you crack that market there's so much money in there the rewards are astronomical if you can get cricket being part of the cultural landscape in the United States and that was the point that I sorry I missed out on as well and I think I think the really big thing that I would do f- from a king for a day ICC administrative standpoint would be I'd encourage a lot more like collaboration between the countries and I understand why at this point it's not in the best interest of different countries to have players going over but a lot more of what like Australia does with England with county cricket going over we have a few like um, Will Somerville for example springs to mind who came over and played for New South Wales is a New Zealander um Guys, like, I just, I think, just I think it's the other way around. I think he was an Australian that then became a naturalised New Zealander. Oh well, well either way, it was, so but however, however it worked, and it was the same with Luke Ronke, I guess, in that regard. But you know, the, uh, just a lot more timeshare of kind of you have. I think more a tours. Yeah, but even like potentially to like the point where you know a young guy is just leaving school. You know, he, he's been to the centre of excellence for Australia. Does a does a year abroad, like an internship or whatever you want to call it. A cadetship and goes over and plays in the subcontinent goes and plays in India or goes and plays in Pakistan or just wherever just you just encourage these guys to go out and you know have a few different nationalities playing in your competition just to kind of it's, it's only going to strengthen this sport it's only going to make especially playing long form cricket it's only going to make them better and more adaptable in their techniques yeah. and, I, I totally agree with the sentiment I do think you're going to have a hard time getting around the patriotism the nationalism of that, that they, you know, we don't want Australians coming over and getting better at playing but, in but, India because that way they'll beat us. At the end of the day, that's our job as head of the ICC. Is oh, kind of, like I said, I agree. You, I completely you, agree you, with that sentiment. You've, you've got, you've got a, you, like it has to, it'd have to be like dealt with fairly firmly. And like, you know, you can't just kind of get a couple of people to buy into it. And like, but I just think like, they this buy point, into it or off with their heads. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's, that's why we're king. Ruling with an iron fist is what it, we do. It's good to be king. But um, but yeah, like I just think stuff like that is it's it's always got potential to be, it like as as long as it's strengthening the sport, then it's got to be good for the sport. The game has to grow. I like we talked about this. I'm, I'm not sure how much we touched on it during our World Cup one, but the fact that the World Cup, ODI World Cup, has been reduced to ten teams is. Ludicrous. It, yeah, it, it's just it's absurd on its face. When you go and look, because you're the, sitting there and you're saying that we we have and in Australia 
everyone I talk to, like I, I maintain that it, it's Australia. Cricket is Australia's national sport. It's definitely Australia's national summer sport. But the, it, as far as ever, like there, there's one, there's one sport that, uh, like, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent of people that I know will watch, and that's cricket. They won't, they won't watch a lot of it, but they'll still watch it. It's like you know, you've got to you got like. The, you, you. When you look at it, there have been three World Cups played this year. The Cricket World Cup, the FIBA Basketball World Cup, and there's currently the Rugby World Cup playing. Now, there were 32 teams in the Basketball World Cup. I'm not too sure on the rugby, but it'd be more your forte. There's, well, there's currently... That's actually a really good question, mate. But there are, there are a heap of teams playing. It wasn't just, we'll let the competitive teams play in the World Cup. We let everyone, like, there was qualifiers. And in the Basketball and Rugby World Cup, there were plenty of blowouts, plenty of teams coming up against others, and they were just getting monstered. This, that's this... not the point. You don't want to go and get rid those teams. That's how you make your game grow. Yeah, you can. You rock up to the World Cup, you know, you're Canada, and you rock up and you get beaten by 64 points in a rugby game against New Zealand. And that's that, the yin that's and yang, fine. Of, that's the yin yeah. yang of our argument, mate, is that you want, you want, you want countries that are going to make you... Um, sport a lot of money, but you also want to encourage the game to grow. growth. Because at the end of the day, the real true measure of how good a sport is is, you know, attendance, people coming back to it. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's all I well can and guarantee good. you, none of those Canadian players went, walked into that game going, you know, they didn't come over, they didn't fly into Japan for the World Cup going, I reckon if we play really well, we could go home with a trophy. None of those mm. players thought they were going to win the World they Cup. Just thought, but they just how good up, is this? I'm going to go, you know, potentially play the All Blacks They wanted to compete against the best. And that's what you want sport to be. It's not about, oh, you don't have a chance of winning, so you can't play. That's not what it's about. And that's what cricket's gone and done. Cricket's gone, well, there's no point letting Ireland and the Netherlands and Scotland come yeah, because they're, not going, they're, not, they're not going to win. What a waste of time. Why would we do that? And I get that cricket is a game that is played over a whole day and there's all sorts of things and you've got rain and stuff that stops you from being able to play. But the sheer fact is that you can't have a World Cup and exclude the world. Yeah. There's, what, there's 90-odd countries listed in the world. The best, the best sport in the world by far is soccer and they have more soccer-playing national teams or international teams sorry then there are countries in the world just purely by the fact that there's Wales and there's Ireland that have their own individual teams and stuff like that that aren't technically listed as countries but um, you, you compare that to uh, cricket who just seems to be ten, ignoring 10 countries 10 made ignoring, the last World ignoring Cup. so many just, just for no other reason other than the fact that the they don't Cup want their a... tournaments to last as long and the... they don't want to be funding different, you know, to be looking after different countries and stuff. It's just, it's just an administrative faux pas, to say the least. And and that's where it needs to. We, what we would do if we were king for a day, would be to change that mindset and get it back to being more inclusive 100%. and increase. And I'm I'm not sure how many teams have qualified for the the um, 2020 tournament, um, because I know that it's far easier to have more teams in a tournament where the games don't go as long because there's not as many scheduling issues. But that's that's not the point. It needs to be... If you're having a World Cup, it can't just be 10 teams. That is just just disgraceful. So um, and that's why I think... Why, well, I'm sure that you addressed it as well, where expansion of the game has come into both of our decrees. So I think that's a pretty... We've, where, uh, I, think we, I think we rule... 
justly and fairly. We'd, Firmly, but justly. We'd I be think able to rule be... together. Both of our decrees have been about, um, you know, just straightening up the umpires a bit, keeping them on their game. And the uh, other part was about making the game grow. I think we'd, uh, I think we'd make a fine pair of kings. I, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with that sentiment, mate. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's been now King for a Day segment. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you found it enlightening. Hope you think we've prattled on too much. Uh, we're hoping to have Glenn back for our next episode. Um, hopefully, full of insight from the land of the long white cloud, yeah. the land of jandals and chili buns and fosh and chops behind enemy lines. So uh, that's it. That's it for two slips in the gully for another week. Thank you for listening, and um, please uh, like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook and. If you've got any ideas or things you want to shout out away, we're always happy to hear from you. Yeah, feel free to give us a shout out, guys. We really, we really appreciate any contributions. And uh, to Rowit Sharma, if you're listening, we're we're very proud of you. Um, yeah. Well, we've already, yeah, exactly. Big shout out this week. So, so got those two hundreds. <laughs> Make sure they come on in. And um, if anyone else, maybe Kagiza Rabada's listening. I hope you pick up a fifer. Thanks very much, guys. See you later. Goodbye, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.